Well, equity markets have lost some of their direction when they're not propped up by good earnings results. Not bad results either, just a day without them. The real action there doesn't start for another 24 hours or so. In the meantime, well, we have to contend with disappointing data from the United States and China, inflation taking a grip particularly in New Zealand, and nothing but RBA minutes and a slew of central bank speakers to keep us entertained. Yay! It's Tuesday, the 19th of October, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, not quite such an exciting day for stocks in the United States. Uh, we have the Dow down 0.2%. The S&P 500 is up 0.2%. The Nasdaq is up 0.6%. Bond yields are up another one basis point on 10-year treasuries. More than that across much of Northern Europe, at three basis points for 10-year gilts in the UK, for example. Australian 10 years saw a nine basis point increase in yields to 1.74%. New Zealand 10 years were up 16 basis points. Uh, the US dollar hasn't moved much. That's because there's not much movement in currencies. So there's been a slight movement up in the euro, but that's been offset by a move down in the pound. So between them, they level off and the euro is about a quarter percent up on the pound. The Aussie is ever so slightly down to 74.17 US cents. And oil for once, well, it's down now, 0.8% fall in Brent, down 0.3% for WTI. But that's after reaching new highs earlier in the session. Brent reached $86. WTI also got to $84. So, uh, a bit going on. Rodrigo Catrill is with us this morning from NAB in Sydney. So, we've not got the optimism that we saw at the end of last week. I, I guess that's because we there's an element of wait and see for the earnings results for for equities, but they uh, but they're not banks. They, they you know the results are going to be from companies that make stuff and ship it around. So, supply chains, consumer demand, wages, they're all going to have a, a, a to play their part. Uh, so, uh, but the, you know that's a day away, isn't it? <laughs> Morning, Phil. Yeah, that, that is yet to come. Uh, but in terms of the, the price action of the night as well, um, you know, we've, we've had that sort of um, news coming from China yesterday and, and in part the, the weakness in, in European equity markets. Uh, I think it reflects the, the concern that not only the slowdown has started in China, but um, but if you think about the, you know, the supply constraints and you think about the, the energy story, it's still ongoing. So um, this is just the beginning. And of course, the property disruption coming from Evergrande and so on, and the need for deleveraging that needs to occur uh, is only just begun as well. So um, so there's big question marks in terms of what the slowdown in China looks like, um, whilst at the same time, you know, data coming from the US um, also made a realization that as much as, you know, the US is a little bit more immune to, to the energy crunch, if you like, um, industrial production is still disappointed. It came a lot weaker than expected, um, reflecting issues around access, you know, the, the bottlenecks of supply in a sense. Um, well, let's, let's go and have a look at those in a sec. I just want to have a look at those China numbers because uh, GDP growth quarter on quarter, 0.2% in the third quarter. As you say, it's probably going to get worse. So it's, it's basically getting to a standstill. Yeah, and if anything, our sense there is that the market hasn't really fully priced uh, that that China slowdown. Um, mm. We've seen that you know a surge in commodity prices, which again is a reflection of those tight uh, markets. Um, uh, but China is the biggest consumer of commodities, so we need to we need to really assess what it all means in terms of how much the, uh, demand will ease over the coming uh, months and the implications for for the market. So the question as well is, is whether this is just a blip or slowdown and then a recovery for for China. 
or whether it becomes a little bit more permanent, and, right. and that will be significant. Yeah, and yet, you know, not much reaction in the, in the Aussie dollar. I mean, it moved a little bit, but then it's uh, everything it lost, it's more or less gained it all back again, hasn't it? It is, but it's also it's also that that, that story around commodities, right? Um, yeah. the, the commodities still remain well supported, and if anything, um, you know, Australia proves again to be the lucky country. You see iron ore prices becoming more volatile and easy, but yet LNG now skyrocketing as coal prices as well go up. So, it is a significant offset uh, for, for the Australian terms of trade, which will remain elevated uh, as far as we can see, and it will be a very strong supporting factor for, for the Aussie dollar. Right, so it's been pulled in both directions, so it all levels off. Retail sales, though, in China, that was a bit of a surprise, wasn't it? Because they were actually stronger than anticipated, 4.4% 4, 4. up year on year. Yeah, that was the surprising uh, number. Um, the question is whether it can be sustained and, mm. and the slowdown in the economy um, particularly also if you think about the, the property sector being a big employer, um, you know, there, there's a little bit of question marks as to whether that can be sustained going forward. Yeah. All right. And those US numbers, uh, and this is supply chain stuff, I'm presuming, because industrial production down 1.3%. It was expected to be up a little. Same for manufacturing production. That was down 0.7% month on month. So we know, for example, car production hit by this shortage of, of microchips. I'm sure that was a, a big chunk of it. Yes, it is. Um, but it's just the magnitude that, uh, you know, we, mm. we, you know, there was expectation for a little bit of an uptick. And yet we got that minus 1.3% decline on the month. So um, it's just a reminder that, you know, it is it is affecting the U.S. as well. And, and maybe the, those numbers will, will begin to, to reflect as well in, in the activity readings of the coming months. And that played a part in oil, didn't it? So because the, the, oil prices were rising, as I mentioned in the introduction, and then we saw these industrial production numbers coming in lower. So that would mean a little less demand for oil. So it's sort of uh, it's slowed oil's growth anyway, at least at least for now. Yeah, so the, I mean, as you say as well, we could remember that they were making multi-year highs early in the session, and, and then we saw that that is, um, which with the, the softer data coming from the US not helping. Um, the interesting thing though is that when you look at sort of the, the underlying supply factors for for oil, um, it still places the idea that the prices will remain supported. I, I think you mentioned that Russia. Um, it's, it's not pumping up more gas uh, to, to Europe. And, and uh, recent auction data suggests that, in fact, um, you know, it's very limited and it's unlikely to increase over the coming months. So this idea of substitution, uh, yeah. it means that Europe will still need to, to find energy and, will, and oil will, will be in demand. Uh, and then, of course, if it's a cold winter, which is, you know, some evidence that that is happening as well in, in, in China, the demand for energy for mm. heating will, will remain very robust over, yeah. over the coming months. And then we've got the issue that uh, a lot of OPEC countries have just not been meeting their targets. I mean, you know, there's talk about constraining supply uh, with those targets, but actually they're not. Then they're going even lower than that because they haven't made the right investment in infrastructure, for example, or maybe it's supply chain distribution issues as well. Uh, so we can add that to our list of things to worry about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, there's obviously the climate change and everything that has reduced the, the amount of investment, but COVID itself also was very disruptive, particularly for, for those developing countries. And, you know, Bloomberg was running the, the news uh, overnight that um, the OPEC Plus group actually delivered around 15% less than what they committed to deliver uh, in September because of that, because there's just not, not infrastructure. So even if OPEC was to commit to do more supply over the coming months, 
there's question marks as to whether some of his members would be able to deliver on that. So looking at all of this, so all of that, obviously oil is going to push prices up. There's going to be less stuff produced, so they're presumably going to get more expensive. So all of this, and then it's obviously all the, the, the wage push inflation that's going on as well, while production's slowing down. I mean, that's looking like stagflation, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. It, it does. I mean, th- this is where you get into debate about what's the definition of stagflation. But it certainly looks like a slowdown in growth given capacity constraints, which also come along with the, the rise in, in, in inflation to me. And eventually it could have consequences in the labor market. So the definition of stagflation is that you need to see a rise in unemployment. But um, the timing of it could be a, a bit of a delay f- effect, in my view, given that typically the labour market reacts a little bit slower than, than the, the activity data as well. Uh, speaking of the first part of the, the second part of that, the inflation part of stagflation, uh, look at the Q3 number for New Zealand. I mean, we're seeing it everywhere, aren't we? But Q3 inflation for New Zealand, 2.2%, which was way more than anticipated. That actually means in a quarter that prices have risen as much as the RBNZ would like to see over over a year. In fact, 4.9% year on year. Uh, and we've seen big bond movements as a result of that in New Zealand and around the world. And around the world, yes. Um, and so the, the the New Zealand number it's was was a very strong upward surprise. And, the, and what mm. we've seen is that the market has reprise expectations for IBNZ hikes and, and indeed even uh, our colleagues in uh, BNZ in New Zealand also put another another uh, 25 basis points there uh, of hikes for, for the IBNZ. So it certainly makes sense given, you know, in New Zealand inflation is skyrocketing and, and there's a need for um, to cool down the economy. Um, regardless of whether you think that these factors are, are driven by supply side or demand side. Um, the question which remains uh, an answer is to, to what extent these inflationary pressures will persist and whether they are really a function of, of you know, a supply shock. And if so, they're likely to dissipate and therefore we shouldn't be overreacting. Um, but at the moment, it's, it's a one-way traffic. And, and as you mentioned, if you look at sort of the, the movements in two-year rates around the globe, they've all gone up basically yeah, yeah. Uh, overnight. Um, New Zealand, of course, leading, but the, the UK... You know, the two-year rate is up 13 basis points from overnight price action. So right. yep. it's, it's a significant move, and, um, and Australia hasn't been immune to that, despite the fact that we haven't seen uh, those inflationary pressures that are evident in, in New Zealand, well, that, that but yet the market is thinking, well, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Yeah, why the spillover to Australia? It has to be, well, if it's happening to them, it's, it's, it must happen to us, surely. Well, that's that's association with you know our cousins, but the reality is that even if it is happening, we're way way behind in terms of those dynamics, and and yet the, the market is not really truly differentiating significantly between the one and the other, mm. and and hikes are priced in for for you know the coming year in Australia, uh, whilst you know the RBA is still telling us that, that there's there's no reason to hike until 2024. Right. But are they wrong on that? Well, we get the, the RBA minutes out, don't we, uh, from the meeting earlier in the month. I mean, we've heard most of what's been said already, so I'm not really quite sure we're going to get too much from that, are we? No, we don't expect any new surprises there. Uh, I suppose to, to us, the, the, the key dynamic is, is, is that we need to focus on what is going on in the Australian sort of inflationary dynamics and also the labour market dynamics. And at the moment, as much as the outlook is positive and there are uncertainties to the outlook, um, you know, the inflationary pressures haven't yet arrived in Australia yeah. and, and they haven't yet accelerated to any degree as to what we've seen elsewhere. So uh, there, there is reasons at least to suggest that the RBA will be lagging others. And at the moment, the market is pricing almost the same rate hikes for Australia and, and the US, where inflation dynamics are very, very different. Right. And we've got lots of central banks 
speakers out in force, uh, all talking about tapering, tightening, inflation to a greater or lesser degree. Perhaps not the ECB speakers, but we're going to get lots of that, aren't we? Yeah, and if anything, a a sort of highlight of contrast in terms of thinking. Um, Obviously, the, the, the comments coming from the Bank of England are likely to be very hawkish. Uh, we know that it's almost the market is already pricing the expectations for for an imminent rate hike. So we think that um, that will be interesting compared to maybe diverging views within the ECB commentators uh, that are coming overnight, uh, where some might be more concerned about inflation and others may not. So mm-hmm. so that will be interesting. And of course, the US somewhere in the middle, and and we have to see what the Fed Fed speakers have to say. Right, and then in the US, and we uh, we finish where we started the earnings season. Uh, but look, all the big names are tomorrow, aren't they? So we've got another twenty four hours to wait. Then we get Netflix, Procter and Gamble, uh, Philip Morris, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Johnson and Johnson. Uh, so it's going to be a fairly quiet twenty four hours uh, till then. But all of those companies are going to be interesting because I mean they've all got uh, you know job shortages, supply chains, all the problems there, inflation. It's got to impact all these companies. There's got to show in the earnings results somehow, surely. Well, yeah, so it's, I suppose the, the big question is we know that they're, they're faced with a, a rise in input cost. The question is, have you got the ability to pass it on? Yeah. Um, and so in some instances, it may well be the case that you see a profit margin squeeze in terms of the, the outlook, whilst in others they'll say, well, no, we're just going to put prices up and, and we, we think that you know, the consumer will be okay with that. So we have to wait and see how that plays out. And then there's companies like Facebook where, you know, they're paying people enough anyway. I think it's about 100000 a year is the average salary in Facebook. So it's those lower-end workers, companies that have lots of employers at the lower end, which are going to feel the hurt. So tech companies will probably sail through it reasonably well, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. And even, you know, price action of the night is telling us that, you know, the, the, the big tech is the one that is leading and, and still remaining resilient, uh, even despite this concerns around inflation, potential mm. slowdown. The flattening of the curve has actually played into that and, and, and the Nasdaq yeah. is outperforming. All right. Well, another interesting day. Great to talk, Rodrigo. Catch you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. That's Tuesday morning's morning call from NAB. I'm Phil Dobby. Back tomorrow morning. See you then.